Welcome to the Mentium Matters podcast, where we talk about leadership, life, and the transformative power of mentoring. This is Solveig Brown, and I am thrilled to be joined by Sarah Bloomquist to celebrate International Women's Day. We will be talking about some of the unique challenges that women face in the workplace related to navigating contradictions and high expectations. Sarah Bloomquist is the owner of SP Resources, a consulting firm that provides startups and small companies with interim HR leadership. Sarah has a long history in HR and has served in multiple leadership roles at Cargill, the Minnesota Vikings, and Series Global. Sarah is passionate about transforming organizational cultures and coaching and developing people to be their best. Sarah is a former mentee who has been a longtime mentor for Mentium. Sarah is also a wife, mother, and an active volunteer in her community. Welcome, Sarah. I am so excited to have you as a guest today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be talking with you. Sarah, during our pre-podcast meeting, you talked about the contradictions in life that everyone must navigate. Could you explain what these contradictions are and offer suggestions for how to find a sense of peace amidst the contradictions? Boy, there's a lot of them. This idea for me came out of a speech I give to a gifted and talented class at the Wayzata High School, my kids' high school, every year about I can talk about any topic I want when they invite me. So I started to focus on contradictions in life and resolving them. And it was really a wonderful thing as I've developed this speech, I find it over every year to think about these things and actually reflect on them. And I keep finding more and more every year when I talk to them. And it's amazing to see how me in my 52 years old, these resonate with me, but I talk to these brilliant 17 and 18 year olds in the class and they nod along when they talk about them. So it really hit me how they're experiencing the same thing at a very early time in life and in a different context that I've experienced all my life. And if it helps to talk about them, it's just wonderful to see that, that it resonates with them and maybe they can do something with it. There was a quote, I'm not going to get it exactly right. I don't have it in front of me, but it was from F. F. Scott Fitzgerald that said something to the effect of the mark of a first rate mind is the ability to hold two things in the same time that are opposing each other and still function. So to kind of see these contradictions and then function, it's not quite right. I know I don't have a hundred percent, but that idea was introduced to me years ago in the corporate world. But sometimes just things don't seem to make sense, but sometimes you can find your way to reconciling them. And the few of them that I talk about that seem to really hit home with people, one is fit in and be yourself. So these amazing young adults that I'm talking to are preparing to go into the university setting. They're going to do huge things in the world and they're going to need to fit into the corporate cultures where they work in or the university settings or the education or whatever culture they're working in. At the same time, if you're not yourself, you're not happy. And so we talk about how do you chalk the outlines of the field so that you can be yourself in a setting, but still fit into it. And I talk about the analogy of a rubber band. I feel that my personality, I've been able to figure out how to stretch. So if I am in an industrial setting working with plant workers, I grew up on a small farm. And I stretch back to that part of me, right? That I grew up in the country. I understand that culture. I can stretch to it. I've had to be in boardrooms and working with executives. So there I need to stretch a little more to the professional side, but I'm still myself. You know, I think for me, I found I need to remain authentic, but I've over the years maybe expanded the boundaries of that ability to stretch within that realm of authenticity to 
be able to connect with people regardless of where they are in the world, their job or that kind of a thing. I've also found if I'm in situations where I'm not allowed to be myself, then it's not okay. It just does not work for me. And I try to give everyone the advice of, then that's maybe not the right place for you. Not all places are the right places for everyone. And to examine what are your values and what is your authentic self? And at what point does the stretch that you need to fit in actually resulting in hurting you? And I've been in those situations as well. Right. The analogy I love is the rubber band, right? If you take a rubber band, it can really stretch and that's its job. You can really stretch it over time. And so I think about those stretching farther. But if you stretch too far, you start to see all those little frays, those little cracks happen. And eventually, of course, it's going to snap, which is the last thing that you want. But I do think that can happen if you're forced too much to stray from your true self. And so my focus as I've found work that I love to do is making sure I'm in cultures where I can be myself and I'm comfortable with the amount of stretch I need to do to fit the different scenarios in. But it's I'm not asking too much of myself and I'm not going to snap. When I do this speech to the students, I always get this wonderful feedback. And these are just brilliant minds. They don't just write in a Google Doc, hey, thanks for coming. I enjoyed your speech. They pick individual pieces that I talked about and expand on it and give me this just wonderful insights. And last year, one of the students talked about the rubber band analogy and said, also, if you think about it, a rubber band, if you stretch it over time, over and over, it's going to stay wider. And so his analogy was, if you do practice that ability to stretch yourself, it will get easier and easier because you'll relax into it. And I thought, again, such brilliant young adults. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I'm going to feel that for the next time that I do this talk. So the fit in, but be yourself. It feels like those things are at odds, but I think you can find a way to figure out what your boundaries are, where how you can take your ability to stretch within the context of where you're working or volunteering or whatever your situation is and decide, is that acceptable to me? And if not, let's look at making a different choice. Or can you change the environment, which is hard, right? That's certainly, I think you can work to impact places where you are and bring up issues about, hey, I don't feel like I can be myself in this situation, but that has to be a very safe environment to do that in the first place. It takes a lot of courage to have those conversations, but I think they're also worth it. Oh, definitely. That is a really helpful analogy because so many of the mentees really want to be their authentic self at work. And I really like how you defined how you can be authentic to yourself and still stretch depending on the situation that you need to. So that's really a helpful visual and just helpful to think about. That you stay in your home base, but stretch. But stretch. I I use a lot of analogies. And one that came to mind was, I love clothing and fashion. And sometimes you'll buy a sweater that just doesn't quite fit, right? And you just, you're adjusting it all day. And to me, that's when you, it's a similar feeling when you're in a situation where you're having to stretch too far or things just aren't aligned to your values, that you're just constantly having to twitch and fit and don't feel quite right. And that is a marker for me when I know that maybe I'm not, I need their need to try to impact that space I'm in. So it's more comfortable or I need to just get rid of the sweater and move on. Exactly. Yes. We've all been there. there. (laughs) Another one I talk about, and I feel like this really resonates with, especially women of any age is be humble and own your awesome. Because, you know, I'm Midwestern. It's, it's 
hard to advocate for myself. It's, I don't want to seem showy. I don't want to seem arrogant. I think women have to walk a particular line about that in the world. Don't love it, but I think it's real. And so yet you need to advocate for yourself if you're trying to get anywhere and achieve your goals. So I think that being humble is an important thing. It's a leadership style that resonates with most people. I think if you're a more successful leader, if you can be humble, don't take credit for things that aren't yours, all the things that go along with this. It's a, and I realize it's a very Midwestern thing of me, but it's very ingrained. Totally. We grow up in a family where we were showy. We helped each other out and you don't need to be in the spotlight. But I also think it's critical that we learn how to own our awesome, as I call it. What are we good at? And how do we speak about what we're good at and are proud of it? And a thing that clicked for me finally was to realize it's much easier for me to talk about my accomplishments or what I'm good at if I use the words of others. So if someone has told me, and this is a quote that I've that's lived in my head because it made me feel so good. Someone told me once that I have a laser-like ability to zero in on the issue and distill it down into something that we can deal with, whether that's a conflict at work or whatever is going on. Usually it's something going on between humans. It's hard for me to say, I have a laser-like ability to blah, blah, blah. But I can say with a lot more comfort, I've been told I have a laser-like ability. Yes. So I felt like that was a workaround for me to be able to answer the question of what are your strengths? Like when you're in a job interview or you're in a performance review, thinking about what I've been told by others or how others have described me got me more comfortable with being a little more showy and saying things out loud that felt before to be a little braggy. And I just, I don't like feeling braggy. Right. And I like, I think you nailed it, that so many women in particular feel this way, partly because of cultural expectations Mm -hmm. or that it's very different if a woman talks in a way that sounds braggy versus if a man talks in a way that sounds braggy, you're perceived differently. And so I love that way of working around that, of being a more comfortable sharing what your accomplishments are based on what other people have said that I love that. Thank you. Yeah, it, that one was really the last few years, probably. It's taken this long for me to get more comfortable with it. But as I've gone into more the independent consulting route, I need to speak up about these things. If I'm talking with someone about doing a project and they don't know my work, I need to help them understand where I feel that I can help them and sell in a way. And just that whole concept of selling myself makes me a little sick to my stomach. And yeah. <laughs> so it could be a physically a workaround. <laughs> And like you said, this whole line between confidence and arrogance for women is honestly, it's a ridiculous line we have to walk, but again, Mm -hmm. facing reality as it is. And I hope over time it changes and I think we're more aware of it, but it has not gone away. And so sometimes you have to face into reality and go, I can't change that. I'm going to work to change that in my little, in my small way and my impact in the world. But at the same time, I'm going to face the reality as it is and find ways to deal with it if I can. Probably the last one I'd say where I'm so passionate is get better and you are enough. Ah, yes. You know, I work in human resources. We talk about development. You need constructive feedback. You need to improve. You need to gain new skills. All those things are true, right? We do need to improve and grow. And I think we have a, every person has a hunger for growth and in different levels, of course, but everyone I think has it innately. And then at the same time, if you approach it as the mindset of, 
I'm broken and I need to do this to fix myself. Mm. It's just a really sad place to come from. Yeah. And I think this line of thought for me really built out of going through an incredibly life-changing coaching program called Coactive Coaching back when I was with Cargill that is built on the idea that if you're coaching someone, that person is not broken. They have the answers within themselves and you as a coach, you're there to help them find them through powerful questions and inquiry and support. And it is such a nicer place to come from. I'm pretty great and I want to be even better. It's so much more energizing than I'm really bad and I'm so bad at these many things and I need to fix them. And it's just such a different energy comes with those two approaches. Totally. I can feel that as you're saying that, as I think about that deficit model versus I am enough already as I am and I can choose to get better. Yeah, I can choose to get better. I can choose to improve because I'm worth it and I deserve that. Mm-hmm. And I have I have children, I have teenagers who struggle with mental health, and I see that mindset in them over the and you can just see the internal monologue that is, I'm broken, I'm horrible, and it just it pains me. And we've put so much work into getting them help and working with them ourselves on how do you flip that? And I see that just in the everyday world where people just go, Oh, I'm horrible at this, or it's 99% bad and 1% good. And it's like, no, let's flip it. It's so prevalent. And it's also really prevalent for women. If you look at any magazine targeted toward women, as you're standing in the checkout line or something, it's all about things you can fix, things that are wrong with you. And you just get inundated with these messages that there's something wrong. You're not enough. So I love taking that power back of yeah. saying. It makes me so I, mad. So right. The, that's part of the, when I speak to the class about that, you talk about all of the messages of make this body part bigger and this body part smaller. Your skin needs to be better looking, do this to your hair. Here's all these things. And I'm, there's nothing wrong with fashion and beauty and wanting to lose weight or gain muscle or whatever it is, but on your own terms, right? Yeah. I think there's so much more power and the message is coming at you is constantly you are not mm. billions of dollars built on it every year <laughs> totally because it makes you want to you like oh i need this product to be enough or i need yeah, to do this, this to be enough yeah yes. back to the fix your thing of this will fix me and searching for the answer i think was something over the years that I realized there is no the answer right there's no single answer to anything but we get and- into that cycle And I love that with the right questions, you have the answers inside. So if you can't think of the right questions, go to a trusted coach, mentor, colleague, and help them help you figure out what the right questions are. Yeah. Yeah. When I've had people come to me for advice and every once in a while, the half joke, like, oh, I want you to tell me what to do. My answer is always, that's not what I'm here for. Yeah. I'm here to ask you questions. I believe you've got the answers within you, but maybe I can help you find them. And that power of inquiry. And I try to practice this in my personal relationships as well to just ask questions. And when I always love that moment, you get into the zone when you're in that sort of coach mode and you're talking to someone who needs help and you're just asking questions and the questions almost come out without you thinking of them because you're, you've got the flow is what we talk about. Yes. And then you ask a question and the person stops and goes, wow, that's a good question. And I almost don't even remember what question I asked. It was mm-hmm. just the flow. 
because you were so present and in the moment and you just right. knew and trusted what needed to be said. And that's, I, those moments are so precious to me when you have that, that the energy changes like in the conversation and you see the person tap into something and it's like, there it is. That, yes. that, that, that river flowing inside you. We just, we caught the current. Definitely. You can feel it. And that happens so often in the mentoring relationship where that kind of that moment where you can transform because everything is just right. That mm -hmm. question was just right. and makes you think of it in a different way. So Sarah, I want to say, I appreciate your laser-like focus to distill <laughs> things down to simple <laughs> things that we can understand. I have never really thought about all the contradictions we face and how to navigate them and how we have to constantly navigate them every day. So you have clearly done a lot of thinking about this over these last years. And as you said, you come up with more contradictions every year. So what do you know now that you wish you would have known 10 years ago? Oh, so many things. I think I'm going to credit my, my coaching trainer and just an all around fantastic trainer and facilitator, Rick Tamlin with us. It's all made up. All of this is made up. The corporate world, the rules we live under, everything is aside. Everything's made up. And so if it's all made up, it's all ripe for questioning. So when I get locked into feelings of I should be doing this as a parent or my career should be in this place versus that place, stepping back and going, why? It's I all love made up. that. It's literally all made up, right? There's yeah. very few things that are <laughs> And that is such an empowering perspective though. Yeah. yeah. Because you get locked into, as I was working on my career and having children and we are dual career, my, my husband has a busy job as well and trying to navigate all those things and where are the kids going to school and how are they doing at school and, and all those things that you think about as a human and what you want to achieve. And I would finally learn probably in the last decade to step back and go, so what, what do I really want? What really values me? What am I doing? Because it feeds my heart and my soul and it feels like worthwhile use of my time versus what's just silly stuff that I can get rid of. Yeah, that is a powerful question. Again, back to the question of when you when you feel that should come up, why right. should I do that? Right. Yeah. The, from someone coined a long time, you'll stop shooting yourself. <laughs> Yeah, And I started, I learned that from myself again, it's a, always a work in progress, but I will have that same conversation with people, especially with the younger women that I coach when they say, I should be doing this, I should be doing this. And I say, why? And maybe they should. I'm not saying that what they're saying is wrong. I just really encourage to look at it and examine what I think that as life got busier, that combined with realizing that my time and energy are true finite resources made me much more conscious of where I chose to allocate those things. And, right. and I started to clutter my life and go, you know what? It's okay. I don't have a hobby. I don't, I haven't learned a new crafty artsy skill or how to make something other than maybe dabbling in a little bit of cooking for 20 years. Some people thrive on that. Some people need it. So I'm not saying that means for everyone, but for me personally, there was not room in that. The kids and working and travel. I also have aging parents and have a lot of caretaking responsibilities. And I started going, when I would start to think, well, I should learn how to do X or Y. Now, why? Is there room for that? Does that get you excited to think about doing it? No? Okay. Leave that behind. 
Yeah. So many of our mentees are working parents or they're caretaking their parents. Can you share some of the lessons you've learned from being in that sandwich generation of being a working mom <laughs> and caretaking at the same time? Yeah. Yeah. It's been a challenge. Definitely. My biggest thing was probably letting go of guilt as a parent. And the, again, the shoulds that you feel either yourself imposing on yourself or society or family or whoever is imposing on you. I got to a point when my kids were in like elementary school where I would just go to the orientation and talk to the teacher and say, I'm not going to be able to show up and volunteer, but when you need me to write a check, I will write whatever check you want me to. I will send any donations or supplies or whatever you want and just be upfront that I am not going to get to carve time out to volunteer very often, if at all. And so addressing those things head on sort of helped me with the personal guilt, but also, you know, there's some passive aggressive stuff that happens. And when I would volunteer and you get the comment, oh, we don't see you very often. Okay. That I don't love that, but I'm mm-hmm. going to let it roll off me more than it used to in the past. And then I would look at my husband who never volunteered at school. He's a fantastic dad, but never volunteered at school and never gave it a second thought. <laughs> totally. Again, that double standard. Yes. You know, that letting go of some of those things and not letting those comments or feelings into your heart was mm-hmm. a challenge. But after a while, it for me, it was a survival skill. I'm yeah. Going, yeah. I'm, I love it to see all those first day of school little signs that some moms do of saying, my name is Josh. I'm in fifth grade. I like, and maybe you feel, I don't know if it's an Etsy thing or a chalkboard thing. They're adorable. Kids never have one. Maybe a picture of their back as they got on the bus. (laughs) And I learned to go great for you to the moms or the parents who are able to do those things and like doing those things. I love them. I love seeing them, but I got over the guilt of not doing them myself. And I think this kind of goes along with the social media movement as well of where we all compare ourselves to the outsides of others, of this other person is so fit or this other person does these incredibly wonderful things as a parent and you see it on social media and you start thinking, I should be doing all of this. And there's that should word. Yeah. And then you say, why? (laughs) You say, why? Does it bring me joy? Is it really hurting my child if I am or not, if I'm doing this or not? Did it actually cause me more stress to have to fit into this mold that I created for myself? So there was a lot of letting go as a working parent. I'm going, yep, this isn't going to be perfect and that's okay. I don't talk about balance. I don't think it's possible. For me, it's really more about choices, Mm -hmm. making, making sure that My environment that I choose to be in from a work perspective gives me the flexibility to make the choices that I need. And then also that my husband and I have enough open communication that sometimes I'm going to have to choose my job. If it's a choice between being at a kid event or traveling for work, sometimes I will have to choose my job. And sometimes I'm going to choose the kid and I'm going to try to keep, I guess maybe some balance comes in here where it's a relatively equal thing, or at least it doesn't feel like it's too far the other way, but I need a workplace that understands I need that flexibility, but also my partner and I have to have a strong enough relationship to say, Hey, you've got this one. I can't. That's really good advice of how it all works together between work partner. And then on top of that, not choosing to feel guilty. I'm just saying, this is what I am doing. 
this is the best I'm doing in this moment and it's all going to be just fine. Yeah. Guilt is just, guilt's a waste of time and yeah. it's not an easy thing to get rid of. But again, time's a finite resource and energy's a finite resource. So why am I giving time to guilt? Exactly. Sarah, you have been such a passionate advocate for empowering women in the workforce. What are some best practices that an organization can do to support and empower women to reach executive levels? I think programs like what Mentium offers are fantastic ways for companies to really put their money where their mouth is and put some structure in place and provide some opportunities like the mentoring programs and all of the wonderful support system that goes along with that. I think also encouraging their executives, especially their male executives, to be mentors, they're not just providing the opportunity for the women in their organizations. But I think it's really important for every organization to take a hard look at themselves and really look if they are expecting every manager to care about this topic and care about building a diverse team, care about supporting the people that they have on their teams, and also doing the work to build their own skills. The thing I've noticed over the years is if you are a sales manager, a lot of time gets put into developing you as a salesperson and you study best practices in sales and new tactics in sales. You're not as expected to put the same amount of work and the same amount of time into being a good manager and being a good leader. And you can fill the first word in with whatever you want, IT, HR, even HR, sales, operations, whatever it is. When you're given the precious gift of being a leader of people and you're holding people's careers and livelihoods in your hands, I'm just very passionate that you should be spending as much time on building your own skills in terms of being a good leader as you do in terms of the subject matter that you're supposed to be an expert in. And companies need to hold their leaders accountable for that and put the focus in that. And so Mentium and their programs are a great tool for that, but the companies really have to start holding that standard. And I honestly believe until the day comes that corporations hold that standard of development and kind of caring for leaders of people on this topic, we won't see real change. And you really need to get to the middle managers. It's not just the executive support at the top is important, but it has to go through the middle management as well. And I think that's one of the big keys. People involved in being leaders have to do the work to be good leaders. And it takes work and it takes development just like any other skill. Some people are naturally better at it than others, but everyone needs development in it. And I'd love to give a plug for a pilot program Mentium had that I was part of, which was women mentoring men, which matched up experienced women executives in the area with male executives talking about the challenges women face in the corporate world and how they can best support them. It was a fantastic project spearheaded by Missy, our new CEO, and it was executed extremely well. Even COVID hit right in the middle of it, but we managed to keep it going and build some great relationships. Um, I hope to see that come back in the future because I think that's a good example of flipping the script a little bit and not just making it the women's job to look at how to fit in more to the organization, fit in, right? You've got to really look at the structures in addition to us doing our own work of how we, how can I better fit into the structures we're in? The people in charge also have to look at the structures and the systems and the things that have been built for years and that are putting women at a disadvantage for a whole host of reasons, as well as anyone who doesn't fit into the norm being put in a disadvantage. And I really think until we become better system thinkers and address those root causes in the systems, when that happens, that's when real progress will start to move. 
Oh, yes, yeah, I really appreciate the depth of that response, that it is a systemic change that needs to happen with not just women trying to fit in, but also people understanding what they need to do to make it easier, middle management, training, all that. Yeah, thank you very much for that. Sarah, we have time for three final questions. First one is, do you have habits or practices that you feel have contributed to your success? Well, this sounds so simple, but one of the things I pride myself on is being a promise keeper. Mm -hmm. So if you have asked me a question, to me, that's an implied promise that if I'm a resource for you, I will answer it and not make you wait for it. Yeah. And I will follow up without you needing to. It doesn't mean I never fall down on this, but... I pride myself on being a promise keeper, being responsive and helping you with what you need. That's, there's been this trend to change the name of human resources too. And I, people in culture, human capital, and they're all fine. I love human resources. I love being a resource for humans. Mm -hmm. I take pride <laughs> in that. It's my chosen profession. I've been doing it for 30 years. But I think that my brand has really been built over the years by keeping my promises yeah. Whether that means responding to you, keeping the confidentiality, the confidentiality that needs to happen in these kind of roles and people feeling, I think they feel safe that when they work with me, I will do what I said I would do. I will be honest with them. They can trust me and we're going to be in this together. Yes. I Lots think for me personally, that's been a big part of my brand that I'm very proud of. And I try to lean into what would your advice be to up and coming leaders? Oh, spend as much time thinking about developing your skills as a leader as you do developing the skills on the first half of your title. Right? Oh, that is great. I mean, it's so common when you look at development plans where it's all technical skills focused or that sort of a thing or strategy focused, like all good things. Are you spending time thinking about how am I a better leader every day? Whether that is even just self-study, mentoring with others, asking for feedback, but it's similar to the earlier conversation about diversity and increasing opportunities for people. We need to focus on both halves of those things. Yeah, totally. And even if you're not a leader of people, everyone can be a leader. It's a bit of a cliche sometimes, but it is true. Everyone can be a leader. You can be an influential leader, even if you're not directly managing people. You can do it in the ways that you try to improve the, the work environment or improve processes or things like that. I think everyone has that opportunity to do it. But I think early on, think about both halves of the equation and continually work on those. Oh, that is great advice. And the final question, do you have a favorite saying, quote, or motto? Oh, this one's hard. It's all made up, comes out a lot. Yeah. One does come out. <laughs> Another one, and I think I also have to credit Rick Tamlin with this from my co-active training. That program and he and his co-facilitator, LA, changed my life, right, through this co-active training. But the thing's not the thing comes out a lot with me. When I'm dealing oh. with situations where someone's upset or there's conflict, often the thing that presents itself is not really the thing that's the problem. Mm -hmm. And I use that a lot. And I know that it must resonate because it gets quoted back to me a lot when I'm yes. <laughs> it's but, such a good reminder. And because that's so often true. When you step back, you're like, oh, that thing's not the yeah. thing. I love that. The thing's not the thing. And it takes going back to that kind of model of questioning and listening and inquiry. It takes 
quiet kind of in your mind to understand that. Sometimes when I'm faced with a con, someone's having a conflict or something's just not clicking, you're like, okay, logically these people should be getting along or this project should be advancing or whatever the problem is. Logically it should be here, but yet it's in a different place. So what's the real thing? What's, and how do you examine to sweep away the fluff and get down to the real core of it? And I use, again, I use all these analogies. I look at it as a diagnostic thing of the symptom is the thing that's showing, but what's yes. the real thing? What's the disease or condition? The root cause. Yeah. What's that root cause? It's all just root cause analysis. I just use a little different terms when it comes to the things. Not yeah. the thing. So when uh-huh. someone comes to me in a, in a, I had a real situation once where someone came to me and said, what's the process for applying for internal positions? And there's a logical answer to that, which is here's the process you've been in your, just as in the corporate world, if you've been in your job this time, you should tell your manager before, but something was in the back of my head of, is that really the thing? And I just asked a couple questions of this young woman who had stopped into my office and it turns out she was really unhappy with her manager. And she loved her job, but didn't want to work for that manager anymore. Wow. And we had a really great conversation and I worked a little behind the scenes to investigate and came to find out that manager had been asked to lead people and she didn't want to. She didn't like. Wow. Yes. So we were able to sort of without violating any confidences or anything. So work behind the scenes and we got that manager moved back in an individual contributor role and a different manager took over. And that young woman who came to see me was satisfied again with her work situation. She stayed in that role for another year or two. And then she applied for another role and got a promotion because that was the right time for her. Yes, that is a great example of what that looks like in real life when the thing is not the thing. The thing's not the thing. And I'm sure I miss so many of things, right? That was a moment where my intuition spiked and I was listening and I was in a place where I asked, it pains me to think about how many I've missed, right? It's not, I'm not batting a thousand on this, but there are a lot of times when I can think back and go, oh, the thing was not the thing. Yes, I love right. the thing is not the thing. That is, and it's, think, it's quotable. It's quotable. It's an easy one to remember. I think true progress, true change, true fulfillment happens when you figure out what the real thing is and then actually address it. And it is, there's so much power in figuring out the real thing and addressing it, even though it's harder than the surface thing that presented itself. Mm-hmm. It's so much more worthwhile. Oh, that is wonderful, wonderful advice. Mm-hmm. Sarah, thank you for helping us celebrate Women's History Month. I especially appreciate how you so eloquently laid out some of the contradictions we all routinely navigate. You've given me so much to think about. I love the rubber band analogy of how you can be authentic to yourself, yet stretch for the situation. But thanks for the timely reminder to ask ourselves why if we find ourselves saying we should be doing this or we should be doing that the timely reminder to let go of the guilt that many of us feel i also appreciate your advice on what organizations can do to support women to reach executive levels that it comes down to making sure managers at all levels support those initiatives Thank you all for listening to this Mentium Matters podcast. We have many more fantastic guests in our episode lineup, so we look forward to having you back next time.